This is Season 1, Broadcast 2 of Between the Presets, a weekly podcast by Rudy Stettner. The title of this week's presentation is Keep the Fire Burning. It is the story of a sick of a boy, now an elderly man, who was deported at the age of six with his family to Siberia. The end of this week, June 17th, is the 70th anniversary of a series of workers' revolts and demonstrations that started in Berlin on June 16th, 1953, and spread in the following days to cities across communist East Germany. An increase in work quotas accompanied by any raises in pay, coupled with shortages of basic items, sparked the revolt, which required the assistance of Soviet troops to uh, restore order. The story I am about to tell, that of Mordechai L., puts a human face on the vastly broad topic of life under communism. It is my belief that the stories of common people tell far more than the stories of public political figures. The lessons of their lives can inspire and guide us in, in very different times. In August of 1939, the Soviet Union, under Joseph Stalin and Nazi Germany, under Hitler, signed a treaty of friendship and non-aggression, in which they agreed, among other things, to divide Poland between them. On September 1, 1939, Nazi Germany invaded and occupied their sector of Poland, during which time the Soviet Union took its portion of Poland. This critical event put countless Jews to flight, many of them to Soviet-occupied Poland, where danger and hardship were a better bet than the deportation, enslavement, and death that were the lot of Jews living under German occupation. The six-year-old Mordechai and his family were among countless people who fled to Soviet Poland. They were fortunate to have been allowed to cross the border. Some refugees were sent back to the German zone, where they were promptly sent to concentration camps. The good fortune of Mordechai L. and his family was marred by their classification as enemy aliens, a designation which resulted in their deportation to Siberia, a train ride of more than a week's duration, during which time they were treated more like cargo than passengers. It should be noted that the continental United States, from Portland, Maine to Los Angeles, encompasses four time zones. The Soviet Union spanned 11 time zones, making a trip to Siberia both long and daunting. Upon Mordechai's arrival in Siberia, the family was housed in large barracks designed for around 400 people. In addition to refugees from Poland, there were men who had been imprisoned since the Russian Civil War, which lasted from 1918 to 1921. These prisoners had been anti-communist combatants known as white Russians, as opposed to the Reds, which is the term used for the communists in that bloody and traumatic conflict. Mordechai described the white Russian prisoners as having long hair and beards. It was one of these prisoners who saved the lives of Mordechai, his family, and hundreds of other Jewish deportees from Soviet-occupied Poland. One day, one of the Russian prisoners approached Mordechai and his friend, who were playing in front of the barracks where the recently arrived Jewish prisoners were housed. 
You're all going to die, the Russian prisoner said ominously. He explained as follows. The barracks are crawling with rats. No one who gets bitten by a rat ever recovers. They're as good as done for. There's only one thing you can do. Keep a fire burning at all times in the barracks. Get logs and kindling and keep the fire burning. The smoke is annoying, but it keeps the rats away. You stand a better chance of survival if you do this. Mordechai and his friend took it upon themselves to collect wood and keep a fire burning at all times. They would switch off, since collecting wood in the Siberian cold was far more challenging than kindling the fire indoors. The helpful advice of the Russian prisoner to the two Jewish boys protected hundreds of lives. Extreme adversity has the potential to bring out the goodness in human nature. This was seen more than once in the Siberian Gulag. It was during one of these trips in the woods, collecting firewood, that Mordechai met a friend of his father's from yeshiva days back in Poland. Somehow the man had managed to smuggle a prayer book and a third volume of a set of the five books of Moses. Pieces of books, even a handful of pages, were priceless in an environment where practicing one's religion was a crime against the state. In such trying times, any chapters or verses from the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, or the Talmud were treasures that could not be destroyed. Once committed to memory, that which, that which has been put to memory can, is beyond the reach of human hands. It is during times such as during Soviet incarceration that one realizes this. Despite teetering at the edge of starvation, food for the soul remained critically important to the Jewish prisoners who sought to maintain their dignity as human beings created in the image of God. Living conditions got better in some ways in 1941 after Nazi Germany attacked the Soviet Union. Mordechai, his family, and others in their situation were transported to Uzbekistan where the climate was much milder and the level of hunger was that of regular Soviet citizens rather than that of prisoners of the Soviet state. The Yiddish-speaking new arrivals to Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan, found Jews who spoke not Yiddish, but a language related to Persian. These Bukharian Jews opened up to the Ashkenazim, uh, treating them like brothers, sometimes even lending them Torah scrolls and helping them with kosher food. Despite a cultural and language gap, the underlying commonality between Polish Jews and the Bukharian Jews was a light in a dark time. It was not only Jews who were pressured into abandoning their faith. Christians and Muslims, too, were urged to embrace the communist worldview. In Uzbekistan, communism had not so thoroughly permeated the collective outlook as it did further north in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and other more European republics in the USSR. A friend of mine told me a story about his father, who was secretly Sabbath observant. He would go to work by foot on, on Shabbat, say prayers and psalms from memory, but do no actual forbidden work. He was able to do this with the cooperation of religious Muslim co-workers who covered for him during the 
Jewish Sabbath and holidays. Mordechai was able to come to America, where he is deeply grateful for the freedom he had to learn and pray according to his traditions. In addition, he maintained a profound gratitude for being able to do well in business. From supporting charitable causes to leading classes in the study of Jewish texts, Mordecai always seemed to treat his good fortune in coming to America as a freshly bestowed gift. Part of the value of listening to stories from people's lives is that it changes how I view not only them but the world. I cannot listen to Mordecai L. without seeing the wonder of a new immigrant about the possibilities that exist in America. I'm deeply grateful to Reb Mordechai, as well as the people who helped him and his family. From the white Russian, Russian prisoner, one learns the value of knowledge, that it can save lives. Making this podcast has been a learning experience. I hope that some of the tech glitches that are, can so readily be noticed will be less and less frequent. I'm very grateful to the producers of royalty-free music much of which can be found on YouTube. This week's intro and outro is by a producer who goes by the name SAVFK, S-A-V space F-K, on YouTube. His music is good in and of its own right, and not just as a tool for framing podcasts. I hope to put up a podcast with God's help every Monday evening, no later than 11 p.m., hopefully earlier. I thank my listeners and welcome feedback from them. Have a blessed week. forgot to mention that the name of this composition by Sav FK is The Traveling Symphony. Again, I thank him and I thank my listeners.